One in Three is intended for mature audiences. Episodes contain explicit content and may be triggering as they often include violence and other varying forms of abuse such as emotional, psychological, sexual, and physical. In most cases, names have been changed to protect all involved. Please note, statements and opinions of guests do not necessarily reflect those of my own. Hi, Warriors. Welcome to One in Three. I'm your host, Ingrid. What I'm about to share with you is one of the most fucked up stories I have ever heard in my life. And as you know, I have a domestic violence podcast. Remember, domestic violence doesn't have to be limited to intimate partners. It also includes children and really anyone who is cohabitating under the same roof. This account includes all of it. The details are so vast and gruesome, I'm going to do all of us a favor and break it up into multiple episodes. This is the story of the domestic violence perpetrator, Michelle Notek. Michelle Notek, who is known as Shelley by those close to her, was born on April 15, 1954. Her father, Les Watson, at 6 feet 2 inches, was described as handsome, charismatic, and a good businessman. But I'll get more into him later. Shelley's mom, Sharon, was almost the exact opposite. She was an alcoholic who led what others considered a dangerous lifestyle. There was a constant influx of random adults into the lives of Shelley and her two younger brothers, Chuck and Paul. This led people to believe Sharon may have been a sex worker. Shelley was just six years old when her mother took her and her three-year-old brother Chuck from California to their father's home in Washington State. Seven years later, in 1967, Sharon was found dead, possibly beaten to death. So now let's get back to Les. He was well-known throughout town, in a good way. Believed to occasionally stretch the truth, though, he lied to his future 19-year-old bride, saying he was only four years older than her, when in fact it was ten years. The day after they were married, Sharon, Les's first wife, called to ask, When are you coming to get these damn kids? It was shortly after that call that Shelley and Chuck were dropped off, never to see their mother again. Almost immediately, the newlyweds recognized some major behavioral issues in the children. Chuck never spoke. His big sister controlled the narrative and seemed to do all the talking for him. Shelley, on the other hand, was extremely verbal. She had no problem telling her new stepmother that she hated her every single day. By the way, for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to use the same pseudonym, Laura, that author Greg Olson used when discussing Shelley's stepmom in his book, If You Tell. Shelley was 13 years old when she received the news of her biological mom's murder. She had no reaction and never even asked about her. It was also at the time of Sharon's death that Paul, the youngest of the three, came to live in the Watson home. He too displayed behavioral challenges with lack of impulse control and poor social skills, but Shelley would prove to be the worst of them all. Possibly excusable to having a stepmother or even typical teenage angst, Shelley was often disagreeable. She only wanted to do things if they were her idea. She would pout, argue, and even lie to get out of situations she didn't want to be in. Lara recalled Shelley always looked distraught or angry, and she was angry quite often. 
Nothing ever seemed to appease her. Shelley's troublesome behavior escalated, though. Her lies magnified, she stole, and there was belief she had a hand in arson within the home. The other children, which now included two born to Les and Laura, would become subject to sadistic punishments from their sister. Punishments for what, you may be wondering. It could have been something as simple as getting more attention or accolades than Shelley. There were even times she put cut-up pieces of glass in the shoes and boots of the other children. One day, when Shelley was 14 years old, she was taken to a juvenile detention center. While at school earlier that day, she had told administrators she had been raped by her father. As an investigation ensued, the lie was put to rest following a physical exam conducted by a physician. It revealed no evidence of rape whatsoever. The physician informed the Watsons that Shelley needed serious therapy and they should seek out a psychologist. The couple wasted no time. They enrolled in family therapy as well as individualized therapy for Shelley. None of it seemed to help. Shelley admitted no fault for what she had done. In fact, she relished in the attention she received from it. Naturally, the school refused readmittance for the following year. Now, Desperate to get Shelley out of the house and into a school, the Watsons looked into private schools. Initially unsuccessful because the schools would research Shelley, they were finally able to get her admitted. The school was close to Laura's parents, so Shelley was shipped off to live with them and attend her new school. It didn't take long for Laura's parents to learn to never let their guard down with Shelley. She was mean deceitful, and manipulative. She would convince adults she had good intentions only to surprise them with a harsh, despicable reality. For instance, she would gush over smaller children and display a mother-like demeanor around them. Parents willingly left their children with babysitter Shelley. Their children would later tell them how she would lock them in their rooms for the entire time, though. Shelley would volunteer to assist with household chores like washing dishes. Instead of cleaning them, however, she would simply throw them in the trash. Not straying from lies about family, Shelley also told neighbors her grandfather was abusing her. Without hesitation, at the end of the school year, Lara's parents sent Shelley back to the Watson home. Once again, the pressure was on to find a school. Lara, by leaving out some of Shelley's worst offenses, was able to get her admitted to a Catholic boarding school in Oregon. Surely the sisters would be able to straighten her out. Unfortunately, even they were not able to perform a miracle. The sisters detailed how Shelley would wake up screaming in the middle of the night. She destroyed the homework of other girls, she stole, and she even put broken glass into her classmates' shoes. Another school year completed and another school refused readmittance. Shelley's next target was Les's sister, Katie. Katie lived in Pennsylvania with her husband, Frank. Laura overheard phone conversations between Shelley and Katie. Shelley would describe how Les was abusive. Laura would call her names and was just mean to her. Instantly, Katie insisted Shelley come visit. While there, Shelley detailed further how terribly she had been treated in the Watson home. Katie therefore arranged for Shelley to stay with them 
and attend high school there in the fall. The strain Shelley created within Katie and Frank's marriage ultimately ended in a divorce for the two. Where did all this horrific behavior come from? The Watsons, especially Laura, did everything they could to help modify Shelley's behavior. While that included therapy, setting boundaries, engaging her in different activities, and providing consistency and organization by her stepmom, Les had a different approach. He often caved to Shelley's demands and would lavish his princess with whatever she wanted. But Shelley's conduct was beyond that of a spoiled child. Could she have been abused by her biological mother or other adults she was exposed to as a small child? Did she suffer from some consequence of her mother's alcoholism? Where was it learned behavior? Oh, I haven't talked about that part yet. Les's father, George Watson, was a gentleman. Kind. Clearly not the role model Shelley looked to. George's wife, Anna, was tall and large, weighing over 250 pounds. Her stature was intimidating, but her demeanor was more so. She was demanding, never admitted to being wrong, and was so ruthless, no one dare oppose her. Quite the opposite of her husband. She asserted he sleep in a shed in the backyard. The Watson family owned and ran nursing homes. Anna hired two women for the home she oversaw. Those two women, whom Anna referred to as her retards, were completely abused. Also enslaving them at her own home, the women were subject to pain and humility. They cleaned the home, scrubbed the floors, and took care of anything Anna forced them to do. But when Anna wanted them to wash her feet or do her hair, she made them immediately stop what they were doing to tend to her. She would punch and kick them or pull their hair if they didn't adhere to her standards. Anna was also known to hold her heads in the toilet and flush it if she were especially upset. While Shelley was obviously a favorite replica of Anna, she too would occasionally be targeted by her grandmother. Claiming Lara did not care for Shelley's hair appropriately, Anna chopped it all off. And instead of being angry with her grandmother, Shelley blamed Lara. It's difficult to speculate which circumstance created the sadistic nature of Shelley, perhaps a combination of things, but she made it quite clear throughout her life exactly how evil of a human being she could be. If you think you have the stomach for it, join me next week for part two of this story. Until then, stay strong. And wherever you are in your journey, always remember you are not alone. Find more information, register as a guest, or leave a review by going to the website one in 3 podcastcom That's the number one, I-N, the number three, podcast.com. Follow 1 in 3 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at 1 in 3 Podcast. To help me out, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. 1 in 3 is a .5 Pinoy production. Music written and performed by Tim Crow.